It's earnings palooza this week. We've got so many earnings stories. It's going to be fantastic. So get ready. And the show this week is brought to you by PayPal Credit. Summer's here, so make the most of it by booking your travel plans or purchasing your favorite gadgets with six months special financing on purchases of $99 or more with PayPal Credit. Learn more at paypal.com slash fool. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. Also, thanks to LinkedIn for supporting this week's Motley Fool Money. LinkedIn Jobs uses knowledge of both hard and soft skills to match you with the people who fit your role the best. Post a job today at linkedin.com fool and get $50 off your first job post. Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio this week, senior analysts Andy Cross, Emily Flippin, and Ron Gross. Good to see you as always. Hey, Chris. How you doing? It's earnings palooza. We've got so many earnings stories. We didn't even schedule a guest this week. Uh But as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. We're going to begin with the big macro. The latest GDP numbers came out Friday morning from the Commerce Department. The U.S. economy grew 2.1% in the latest quarter. Andy Cross, let me start with you. Next week, we've got the Fed meeting. Everyone's going to be watching it. Everyone's like, what are they going to do with interest rates? How do you think this number impacts the Fed? Yeah, I think it's a more evidence, clearly, that the growth is not off the charts high. It was a slowdown from the first quarter, um, and kind of a continuous slowdown we've seen, you know, if you just look over the year-to-year trend. But I think, for me, this basically says the Fed is looking at the lower level of rate cuts next week. There were talks about maybe 25 or 50 basis points. I think this is going to be about 25 basis cut. I think it's all baked in that they're definitely going to cut, so it's not a question there. But just I think this says pretty much growth is um, good. It's not phenomenal, but you know it's a little bit ahead of expectations. No reason to go crazy and go up to the high end of the rate cut. Yeah, it's it's clear that this is definitely causing a little bit of a stir. We already got a little bit of a threat from President Trump, who, after these numbers came out, tweeted that it was not bad, considering we have the very heavy weight of the Federal Reserve anchor wrapped around our neck. <laughs> so that's just a testament to the fact that I think these numbers are really just pointing towards what the Fed's going to end up doing next week. And I agree with Andy that um, a cut at this point has been baked in, both with estimates and companies and, and banks. So I'd be surprised if. We saw a big cut, but I think we would expect at least a small one. The non-fake news is that business spending was weak, and that's why the overall number was weak. Largely, probably, largely, probably, can one say that? Sure. Probably because businesses are a little bit wary of tariffs and trade wars, and unlike and unwilling to spend as much as they have. So that's probably what's going on. The Fed also likes to balance cuts with inflation. Right now, we're at about 1.8%. The Fed targets 2%, so we're still below that. But we are at the highest number since the third quarter of last year. So just keep an eye on inflation. All right, let's get to the earnings. And we're going to start with Alphabet. Second quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. Shares of Alphabet up more than 10% on Friday. Andy. That is a huge day for one of the biggest companies in the world. <laughs> for, yeah, for an almost $800 billion market cap company. It was pretty impressive. Revenue is up 19%. That was an acceleration off the first quarter. Um, earnings per share, when you adjust for the for the European Commission fine that they had last year, uh, earnings per share were up was up about 21%. Um, operating income up a little bit less, 13%, if you, if you 
bacon, the the European Commission fine. Uh, I mean, overall, pretty good. The revenue breakdown for Google, just on the Google property, which is the main business, was up 19%, up 16% on Google properties. Um, that's an acceleration, again, off the first quarter. So I think investors are looking at Google, such a large company, and they're seeing continued momentum as, as uh, consumers continue to use Google as the primary search engine. And that's having a benefit for the ad business and showing up clearly in both the top line and the bottom line. Interesting, Chris, they did announce a $25 billion share buyback. Um, <laughs> at this level, that's interesting. I, yeah, at yeah. this level, exactly. Stock's done very well um, at that size. Um, it's, it's not a huge mover. It's only about 3% of the market cap. But it is a significant amount of their annual free cash flow. So the question I have is, when you think about all the investments Google could make, they decide to plow a bunch, bunch more money into their stock. Uh, it just says that you know maybe the investments at that amount of capital, it's very hard to get a good return on investment from from a company that size. I'd actually prefer to see a dividend on the stock at this level than a stock buyback. It'll be really interesting as as us uh, Monday morning quarterbacks look back a year or two from now and decide whether that was a smart use of capital or not. Well, let's look back three months for a second, because <laughs> you go back to the last quarter, Andy, and one of the stories out of Alphabet's report back then was YouTube. Yep. Ruth Porat, the phenomenal CFO at Alphabet, was clearly not happy last quarter with YouTube. It seems like uh, YouTube certainly performed better this quarter. Well, I think that's true, Chris. And what we're seeing, there was also a lot of concerns, specifically, I think, about Amazon taking on more of the advertising space. And, and granted, that will happen. But I think just uh, showing Google's been able to show and Alphabet's been able to show they continue to be the biggest player in the in the advertising space, and that's showing up in both the growth rates for impressions as well as revenues and uh, profits when you kind of adjust for some of the fines they've faced over the past year. Starbucks hitting an all-time high on Friday after third quarter same-store sales in the U.S. grew 7%. Emily, they haven't put up that kind of number in the U.S. in a few years. It's been an astounding quarter for Starbucks. They opened up 442 net new stores, a third of which were in China. And the same store sales growth in China was still at 6%. So, what seemed to be dead in the water for a lot of people, especially with the launch, the IPO of its competitor, Luck and Coffee, actually tends to be a good thing for Starbucks. So, they have great growth both internationally and in the U.S. Um, and I think it really shows the success of a lot of their new initiatives. So, they're adding new menu items, adding limited edition drinks. But I think most importantly, they're improving the customer experience. So, that's revamping the company's mobile experience and launching delivery through a potential partnership with Uber Eats. So, they're all things that are going to drive customer growth. Membership and their loyalty app was up 14% quarter over quarter to 7.2 million members. And for a long time, that number looked really small in comparison to a lot of competitors. But that just shows that they're not just driving people to download the app, but use the app, spend more money on the app. So, it's exciting to see um, their net sales were up over 8%. So, it's a good quarter for Starbucks. I expect great things, especially when it comes to their international sales. You know, for, for many of us, the thesis has hinged for a long time on China growth. And I, perhaps incorrectly, had assumed that we would see them start to pull back on expansion, on growth numbers in terms of the number of stores. Have they, are they commenting uh, about 
previous uh, estimates and are we on track for for growth in China or should investors be a little wary? I know I know it's a good quarter, but what does the future look like? Well, anecdotally, I'm working as part of the Rule Breakers team. I recently talked with David Gardner, who got back from a trip in China, and the one takeaway he had for the team after his trip was Starbucks in China. Mm-hmm. He was amazed by the lines that were out the door and how quickly they were expanding. Some of their largest stores are now being opened up in China. So, I think we see other entrants getting into the market, Luckin Coffee, for instance, and you still look at coffee consumption in China, it's still relatively small given their population. So, a rising tide lifts all boats in a case like this. We're training people to drink more coffee, and I think as the country becomes richer, and while it's not growing at the same rate as it did historically, it's still growing. So, people are getting a taste for it, people are getting more money, and they want the Starbucks. I could see that being a double-edged sword for our friend and colleague David Gardner. As a shareholder, probably happy to see the long lines in China. As someone who enjoys the product, <laughs> probably didn't enjoy <laughs> standing like the, the wait. <laughs> Amazon's streak of record quarterly profits has come to an end. Second quarter profits Look good, Ron. They just came in a little bit lower than expected. Shares down a little bit for Amazon this week. Yeah, I thought revenue was solid. Overall sales up 20%. Web services up 37%, but slowed sequentially from Q1, wherein it was 42%. Investors certainly keeping keeping an eye on that. Online retail sales up 14%. Subscription revenues, which includes Prime, obviously, up 37%. These are all really strong moves. Revenue growth got a boost from the company moving Prime from one-day delivery to one-day delivery from two. But there were also costs associated with that, namely about $100 million for the transition, which took a bite out of margins, which took a bite out of profitability, net income only up about 4%. But overall, um, still a good quarter. Guidance, I think, was a little bit weaker than investors had hoped for. So, the success that we talked about on last week's show with Prime Day and the sales that they got from that, that's not going to show up till the next report, right? For sure, but all indications were that it was quite strong. Facebook's second quarter profits came in higher than expected this week, but shares of the social network were basically flat. Andy, did anything in particular stand out in this report? Yeah, well, average revenue per user is up 18% to now more than $7. Uh, Facebook daily active users up 8% to almost $1.6 billion. Monthly active users up about about the same 8%. Um, more than 2.7 billion of us now use either Facebook, Messenger, WhatsApp, Instagram over the course of a month. Revenues up 28%. Um, payments revenue up 36%. Uh, the average price per advertisement shown was down a little bit, so um, clear, not quite the pricing power. We saw that with Google a little bit as well, too. But clearly, the volume and the impressions continue to show up in Facebook. That's good news. What was really interesting is this just seemed to get just tossed to the side when you read the conference call and all the articles that are written because so much conversation around the bigger issue around Facebook, which is privacy, regulatory concerns, fines. That was literally (laughs) seemed to be like 75% of the conference call was focused on that when their business is actually continuing to hum along as they are making these investments, finally getting some um, growth and some improvement into their stories and their services. I think members and users of Facebook and all of their properties are just resonating with what's actually there, and clearly, they are sticking around. Facebook is kind of an anomaly to me. So, the the dialogue does depend a lot on privacy, but ultimately, when you look at the company, it shows very little 
in terms of their financial position. And it is so great at monetizing the platform, at least Facebook's home platform, that it's kind of set a standard for a lot of other companies, a lot of other social media companies in the markets. It's Facebook's the big guy. Facebook shows that you can monetize social media. But at the same time, you really haven't seen them monetizing other platforms like WhatsApp, which, in my opinion, holds a lot of potential for it. So it'll be interesting for Facebook moving forward to see if they can innovate, I guess. I I don't think they're going to be able to acquire their way to the user growth, but it'd be interesting to see if they can innovate to establish new products that will gain users and be able to monetize. I know that they tried to launch a kind of Slack competitor, and that really doesn't gain much traction. So it makes me nervous about their ability to continue to grow in the future. They did talk, uh, Mark Zuckerberg talked about Oculus and some of the improvements they're making there too. Interesting, their CapEx is actually going to be a little bit lower because they're not spending as much on data centers. We heard a little bit of that with Google as well too. So the data center explosion we've seen over the last couple years is definitely starting to slow. After a rough 2018, one embattled social media stock is bouncing back in a big way. Details next. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. If you have any big purchases coming up, like trips, hotels, home goods, or just about anything, you can use PayPal credit and enjoy six months special financing on purchases of $99 or more. For big purchases like these, try PayPal credit. It's a digital, reusable credit line built into your account with PayPal. It's great for big or unexpected expenses, and you can use it anywhere PayPal is accepted. Applying is easy. Just answer a few quick questions, and you'll know within seconds if you're approved. To learn more and apply, just go to paypal.com. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. That's paypal.com. And thanks to PayPal Credit for their advertising support of Motley Fool Money. It's fun to charter an accountant and sail the wide accountancy. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Andy Cross, Emily Flippin, and Ron Gross. Shares of Snap up nearly 30% this week after Snap lost money in the second quarter, just not as much as everyone was expecting. Emily Flippin, you're a Snap user. What do you think of the business? Uh, throwing me under the bus there, Chris. <laughs> just oh, identifying. Oh, Snap. I wasn't Speaking assigning truth. any judgment to you being a Snap user. Well, I'm actually apparently in good company. They posted an amazing 13 million quarter over quarter increase in daily active users to 203 million, mainly in the 18 to 24 age bracket. So I'm on the upper edge there, but I'm still in that age bracket. So the company really associated a lot of that performance, about seven to nine million of those users, they believe they brought in through the launch of its augmented reality lenses, which they have been called as the perfect for the millennial niche glasses. So apparently that's working at least with some of the audience there. Um, An amazing 48% increase year over year in revenue. Uh, It's still losing money, like you mentioned, and like we talked a little bit earlier about Facebook, about their ability to monetize their platform. Snap's really struggled in that regard. So despite the great increase in users, they still haven't quite seen the ability to monetize, at least to the scale that Facebook has. Um, But ultimately, the big news here is that it pushed the stock price above the IPO price for the first time. Time in Snap's history. You talk about monetization, and I appreciate that because it all comes down to profits eventually. Could it be that advertisers aren't impressed with the fact that their target market has no money? 
eight, those 18 to 24 well, I take year olds. Personal offense. <laughs> that, uh, but, no, but compared to the average <laughs> Facebook user, which has gray hair like me, it, I, I wonder what will happen as these users do start to age. Though uh, I think the reason why we see such great monetization with Facebook is just because you're right. Older people tend to click through more often. So there's a culture that comes with Snapchat that is not based around monetization, at least not the way it is around Facebook or Instagram. So I think it's going to be important for them to kind of cultivate a purchasing culture on the app that isn't there currently. Don't email me. I love the younger generation. Second quarter profits for Market Access Holdings came in lower than expected. Shares down 6% this week. Market Access is a platform for bond trading, so not the sexiest thing in the world, Andy. Hey! But even with this drop, shares up more than 70% over the bond, last year. Bond traders out there emailed Chris on that. This was another <laughs> outstanding quarter for market access, but stock has done just phenomenally. Revenues up 17%, earnings per share up a little bit more. They continue to invest in the platform, so they gain market share. Trading volumes are all moving, moving in the right direction. So, as more and more institutional traders, they have more than 1,000 clients, really start to use electronic trading for fixed income. And that's basically the exception. It's not like stocks. So, bond traders are really starting to move more towards electronic trading. We are trying to find quotes out there, find liquidity. Market access is playing into that space. It's done very well. It's more than $12 billion in market cap now. Um, very profitable. Margins almost near 50%. Return on capital very high. So, continue to make the right investments. But the stock was priced for perfection here. So, maybe the guidance and the costs and are increasing in investors or traders may say, hey, maybe not quite t- t- time to take some profits, not quite the growth story that I saw before. But overall, really solid quarter for market access, and the stock's done very well overall. Tesla shareholders had another rough week. Tesla's second quarter loss was bigger than expected, and shares fell 13%. What do you think, Ron? Oh, Chris, <laughs> well, what to make of this? I think the big deal is that the CTO uh, stepped down. He's long been the number two man at Tesla for quite a while. As far as results go, in a vacuum, things you know you would say, "Wow, this sounds amazing!" Revenues up fifty nine percent, driven primarily by a hundred and thirty four percent year over year increase in vehicles. They had record deliveries. They had record production. What could be wrong? Uh, well, a few things. Uh, one, those those numbers were less than analysts were expecting. Uh, number two, because the Model 3 is a lower price point, you saw automotive gross margins take a hit. Um, they're really only around 19% now. The company yeah. continues to target 25% gross margins. That's a lot of bluster, I think, from Musk. Good luck with that. Um, so, the company posted a loss. Uh, on the call, Musk said he expects a break-even third quarter, then a profitable fourth quarter was likely. They keep kind of kicking the can down the road uh, in terms of profitability, although they have had profitable quarters before. Um, do they have enough cash to weather the storm? They certainly have enough cash for now. They just raised about $2 billion in, in de- debt and equity. Uh, they actually were cash flow positive for the quarter, so they have about $5 billion on the balance sheet. So they're, they're, they're okay for now, but I don't know where this story ends. They're going to have to ramp up you know, deliveries pretty, pretty strongly. But it's a little bit like what Andy was talking about with Facebook, where you look at the narrative around Facebook. You know, you can look at the business of Tesla, but the narrative of yet another executive is leaving the company is definitely not helpful. Not helpful. The CFO said he was leaving earlier this year. So, you know, the CTO says he will be an advisor, and he says certainly it has nothing to do with his belief in the company. Well, you know, what are you going to say? Um, so, yeah, I think it's troubling. Boston Beer got a boost from its non-beer brands. Second quarter sales rose 16%, thanks in part to Boston Beer's new line of hard seltzer. 
Emily, I'm not a beer drinker, nor do I drink hard seltzer, but apparently plenty of people are doing both. Well, even if you're not a beer drinker or a hard seltzer drinker, you might be drinking their alcoholic kombucha or their hard cider. Nope. So, <laughs> <laughs> Boston Beer still has a lot of product lines that are sticky, even though its namesake brand, Sam Adams, has been declining year over year. They recently merged with Dogfish Head Craft Brewery for $300 million, and they're going to explore not only beers, but beer alternatives as well. So, I actually think there's a lot of optionality still in this stock. They have raised guidance, great revenue growth, depletions up 17%. Uh, so, it's a pretty significant quarter for Sam Adams, and it's its parent company, Boston Beer. And I think that's really going to continue to show year over year. Let's go to our man behind the glass real quick. Steve Broido, do any of the beverages Emily mentioned interest you? <laughs> Not really, no. <laughs> <laughs> Earnings Palooza is going to roll on right after this, so stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. And I got a little beer money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Andy Cross, Emily Flippin, and Ron Gross. Align Technology reported solid numbers for the second quarter, but the medical device company best known for the Invisalign brand issued weak guidance for the third quarter. And shares of Align Technology fell 30% this week. 30%, Andy? How bad was this guidance? Well, <laughs> their long-term guidance overall, when they look out over years, is 20 to 30%. And they said the guidance for this quarter is somewhere in the neighborhood of 16 to 19%, folks. Mm. So, not a great expectation for the quarter, mostly based on some weakness about both consumer um, interest and sales in China mostly. So, when they look out across the U.S. and other parts of the world doing very well, but China weakness, they just think that's going to impact their quarter. It was a very good quarter they reported with sales uh, doing very well, up almost 23%. Net income up almost 40%, Chris. That led to earnings per share growth of more than 40% for the quarter. So, they continued to innovate into the Invisalign product, offer more and more solutions, drive customer acquisition with orthodontists and clients, both consumers and doctors. But clearly, the China um, market is weighing on the business, and that's impacting the stock price. They do think that will start to normalize after this quarter or maybe after the, the year. So, long-term investors could see this as a buying opportunity. The stock has done very well. It had been up 60% year-to-date. Um, so, it was priced for a lot of that growth. And when the growth doesn't come, investors and algorithms will slice the stock. I am so tired of the China cop-out. I really am at this point. Look, they were projecting 70 to 80% growth in China for the quarter, and they banked in maybe 20 to 30%. So, that's not just, oh, weaker demand. You messed up. You messed up on your projections. Go get them, Emily. <laughs> Especially when you look at companies. You talked about Starbucks. You talked about companies that are actually doing really well in China despite a challenging macro environment. So that to me says, you know, you're whether that be reaching out and, and getting more awareness, educating people, getting marketing, you're not doing enough of something in the area. And if that decreases your estimates for growth so significantly, I wonder what's going to be different in the next quarter. What's going to cause that to normalize unless they're correcting the mistakes they've made in the past? Yeah, I mean, their shipments internationally were up last quarter, were up 37%, including 33% in the Asian Pacific market. So they, they, they've been able to grow in other markets, but something clearly is going wrong in, uh, in China. Shares of Chipotle hitting a new all time high this week after same store sales in the second quarter rose 10%. Emily, Brian Nickel has been the CEO at Chipotle for about a year and a half. and 
he appears to be incapable of doing anything wrong. For now. For now. Digital sales grew nearly 100%, which are now accounting for almost 20% of total Chipotle sales. So, to say Nickel is doing something right would be an understatement. The same store sales growth, as you mentioned, is up 10%. There were a little bit of an increase in costs associated with avocados, uh, something that us millennials get fancy about, call them avocados. All the cool kids are calling them that. They are. are. (laughs) I'm just messing with you. But Chipotle (laughs) may need to bite the bullet in terms of paying for their fancy avocados because those costs have been increasing. However, sales are up so significantly that it seems kind of marginal at this point. What the real story seems to be is beyond meat. So last week, I half-jokingly mentioned that Chipotle should look into getting beyond meat if they wanted to see a nice little stock pop of their own. But it's something that they addressed in their earnings call, essentially saying that they're not interested in partnering with Beyond Meat because the processes it takes to create the fake meat burger doesn't fit with Chipotle's food with integrity mm-hmm. principles. This immediately made Beyond Meat CEO Ethan Brown, a little angry, <laughs> invited the CEO Nickel out to visit the facilities, uh, regardless of whether or not that ends up happening. It's clear that Chipotle is doing something right. Did they figure out that whole queso debacle? I still like the queso. Oh, yeah. I, I think still they figured like it. that out. It is interesting, though, if you sort of widen the lens and look at restaurants and food in general and the trend of delivery. We talked earlier about Starbucks. You look at Starbucks and Chipotle. They've both done a good job. I would argue Chipotle got to it a little faster than Starbucks, but they've both done a good job of expanding their operations within the store to accommodate for the increase in delivery. You walk into a Chipotle, and they've got people working just on delivery orders, and Starbucks is starting to do the same thing as well. The toy makers had a good week. Hasbro and Mattel both issuing second quarter reports. Hasbro's profit growth getting a boost from Avengers toys, while Mattel lost money, although the loss was lower than expected. And so, Ron, obviously that counts as a win for Mattel. Right. Good for both stocks, but for different reasons. Hasbro, wow. Year to date, stock up 50%, shaking off the 2018 cobwebs of the Toys R Us bankruptcy very well. Thank you. Really impressive numbers. Net revenue up 9%, even with international business falling 1% due to negative currency exchange. Digital gaming did very well. Has anybody heard of Magic Gathering? Magic the mm. Gathering? Magic the Gathering, yeah, sure, of course. Am I showing my age? Yes. Mm-hmm. I have heard of Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, direct-to-consumer sales are great, including on Amazon. Um, everything continues to go really well. Some promotional activity, but gross margins were still strong. Uh, adjusted EPS up 71%. That's strong output, for sure. Um, Mattel's film division has partnered with Blumhouse Productions on a movie uh, centered around the Magic 8-Ball. Now, uh, I think like uh, pretty much everyone who hears this story, I was tempted to just sort of roll my eyes. But then I remembered that Blumhouse is one of those small, independent, uh, up-and-coming production studios that actually has a pretty great track record with, you know, Blumhouse is the studio behind Get Out and Black Klansman and they are good with horror movies, which apparently this is going to be. Blumhouse made a horror movie called Truth or Dare that had a budget of $3 million, mm. and it grossed almost $100 million worldwide. So, I don't know. I think if you're a Mattel shareholder, you got to be looking forward to that. Yeah, b- both Hasbro and Mattel have, have combined their, their toy products with entertainment 
in a very strong way. Hasbro, Transformers, G.I. Joe, My Little Pony, if you will. Um, Mattel uh, is going to be set to uh, come out with a Game of Thrones line of, of toy sets soon. Uh, so they're both doing a good job kind of leveraging their product portfolio. I would imagine that the 8-Ball will be pretty exciting as well. Do your kids have a Magic 8-Ball? You've got younger kids, Andy. We don't have a Magic 8-Ball, no. I thought you were going to say a magic pony, and we got plenty of those, <laughs> unfortunately. Give me a magic eight ball over the magic pony. Coming up, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Earlier in the show, we talked about the big macro. It's a tight employment market out there. And you know, hiring isn't as simple as putting an ad in a newspaper or posting to a job board. When you're juggling hiring with everything it takes to grow your business, it's important that you reach the right candidates at the right time. And that's where LinkedIn comes in. LinkedIn does the legwork to match you to the most qualified candidates so you can focus on hiring the person who will help transform your business. You know how LinkedIn members have a profile with their work history and their skills? Well, every few seconds, they're adding new skills to their profiles. They're applying to more than 30 jobs every two seconds. And that's how LinkedIn makes sure your job post gets in front of people with the right hard skills and the right soft skills to meet your role requirements. To get $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com fool. That's linkedin.com fool for $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Andy Cross, Emily Flippin, and Ron Gross. Final earnings story of the week. Shares of McDonald's up after global same-store sales rose 6.5%. Emily, that's huge when you consider just how big this restaurant is. Huge, especially considering not just 6.5% same-store sales growth globally, but 5.7% same-store sales growth just in the United States alone, largely thanks to promotions, games, store upgrades. All of these things are just helping change what the McDonald's experience is. They're also looking at expanding their delivery options, so they're adding DoorDash as a delivery partner, trying to compete with a lot of the faster, casual chains that we have now as options. But listening to the earnings call, it was clear that management saw the most opportunity internationally. They spent a long time talking about underdeveloped markets like Poland, for instance, that we're seeing double-digit same-store sales growth over double-digit same-store sales growth. So it's been impressive for their expansion internationally. It is a testament to the fact that while McDonald's may feel a little played out here in the United States, the international opportunities are really undeniable. But I would say I think the thing that we all wanted to hear, what I know you wanted to hear, Chris, <laughs> was are they going to make a premium chicken sandwich? It's not just me who wanted to hear it. It's the franchisees who said to the board, we need this sandwich to compete with Chick-fil-A. Well, me, who spent an hour and a half of my morning listening <laughs> to the call, I also, and we thank you for it. I, I also wanted to hear about this premium chicken sandwich, but there was no mention of any sort of chicken sandwich. It's clear that while the franchisees would like them to focus more on menu development to help them compete with companies like Chick-fil-A, the company was mainly focused on just revamping the stores, uh, recreating the McDonald's experience as opposed to making a premium chicken sandwich. But let me go on record to say, if they made a premium chicken sandwich, I'd be the first in line. <laughs> let me be the second to say, 
that Chick-fil-A sandwich, the number one for those who uh, are, are aficionados, is about as perfect a chicken sandwich as one can, can ever buy. And McDonald's will pale in comparison no matter what they do. Well, you go back a couple of years with McDonald's, and we started to hear this story from company management about the investments they were going to make in the locations, the technology. And there were some people sort of raising an eyebrow, scratching their head at the time. Those investments are paying off. I mean, it, it takes a couple of years for that ripple effect to play out if you do it correctly, but we're seeing the results of that. Andy. Yeah, and Chris, you're seeing, I mean, just Think about the same store sales we saw this quarter, Chipotle, Starbucks, McDonald's. These are all very large businesses with lots of assets to deploy and figure out, and they clearly are getting it right. It doesn't happen overnight. So, for long-term investors like us who really study the businesses, that's a great added benefit for investing in companies that can get this right and have the patience to be able to let them do that work. Well, it seems great this quarter, but I will say something management touched on a couple of times in the call is actually the delay of the improvements that they're rolling out. This is called the expansion of the future, uh, where essentially they're, they're making their franchisees update their locations. And they're actually having pretty significant pushback from the franchisees, um, whether that just be because they don't want to deploy the capital, or more likely that the franchisees are seeing the capital deployed and thinking this would be better spent elsewhere. So, it's interesting to see the kind of pushback that they're getting from their franchisees and updating the stories. But I will say, I agree that just looking based off the numbers that they reported this quarter and over this past year, it seems like it's working. Uh, before we dip into the full mailbag, I, I want to go back to something that's come up a couple of times on this show, and it's stock buybacks. Um, Andy, you talked about it with Alphabet and their $25 billion plan. Chipotle, part of their announcement was the board approving a $100 million share buyback plan. Obviously, that's a tiny fraction compared to Alphabet, and yet that actually struck me as being crazier, because Alphabet has the money, and when I look at Chipotle and all the great things they've done over the past year and a half, with their stock being as high as it is, I just sort of looked at it and I thought, why would you think about spending? And clearly, they don't have to allocate that hundred million, but just the idea that they're entertaining that when they can invest it in something else. I'm just wondering if we're now entering a point where the market is doing so well, so many stocks are hitting new highs that a share buyback plan is a little bit of a red flag now. Well, it's interesting because. Tying this all full circle back to how we started the show with the GDP numbers and the interest rates, this is why I think a, a aggressive cuts at the Fed rate is not necessarily going to have the huge impact because it's not like companies don't have the capital to spend. They have the capital to spend, and they they're choosing to spend it, not necessarily investing back into their business. And they've been buying back tons and tons of stock. Pretty much, they see a higher return there, but also it clearly helps the EPS line as well, earnings per share line as well. And and the recent buybacks are largely, I think, a result of the Trump's tax cuts, where companies saw this kind of influx of cash and, and didn't really know how to how to put it to work. So why not buy back your stock? I'd rather see Chipotle do that than open up a series of burger chains like they announced a few years back. Yeah. And and thank goodness management came to their senses and pulled back on that. Um, but as we've notoriously said on this show, buybacks are often not the best use of capital. And again, Monday morning quarterbacks will come see how it looks in a couple of years. I agree. It, it does give me early 2000s flashbacks looking at how many companies are buying back their shares. But that being said, as someone who spends a lot of her time looking at cannabis companies, I think a few of those companies could maybe uh, invest in buying back some of their millions of shares. Our email address is radio at fool.com. 
question from Dr. Ted McElroy in Tifton, Georgia. He writes, I'm a member of your stock advisor service and a longtime listener of all of the Motley Fool's podcasts. I was going through my industry news, as an eye doctor should, and I came across an article I thought you should discuss. And he sent along a link, and it brings the news that, and again, this is industry news for eye doctors. <laughs> Taco Bell is launching a collection of branded <laughs> eyeglasses. They are doing this in partnership with a company called Diff Charitable Eyewear. The collection, and I'm quoting here, takes inspiration from many signature elements from Taco Bell, including its logo and its packets of hot sauce. <laughs> Which I would just add parenthetically, I don't want hot sauce anywhere near my eyes. Uh, the prices of the eyewear, Ron, you might be surprised to learn, range from $85 to $95. You can buy them online or next month at the Taco Bell Hotel and Resort in Palm Springs, California. I don't want to sound like a curmudgeon. I'm a fun guy, but this just sounds ridiculous. The only redeeming thing here is that there's a charitable component to it, so I'm actually fine with it. Emily, well, can I interest you in these uh, eyewear? Of course. And honestly, $95, Chris, that's a steal. Because you have to understand, Taco Bell is not just another Yum's brand fast food restaurant. No. Taco Bell is a lifestyle choice. And heck, if I'm a Taco Bell aficionado, I'm going to be wearing those sunglasses at the resort all day long. What I like about this is that I know in my heart that there are executives at other consumer brand companies that have nothing to do with fashion that are saying to their bosses <laughs> right now, you know, do you see what they're doing at Taco Bell. I don't know if someone at Chipotle is going up to Brian Nickel and saying, look, I mean, if Taco Bell can do this, and you used to run Taco Bell, shouldn't we be doing Chipotle-branded eyewear? Hey, listen, if Lululemon can open up a restaurant, like, why can't Taco Bell start offering a little bit of sunglasses? Steve Roido, our man behind the glass, you're a fashionable guy. <laughs> I know that reservations at the Taco Bell Hotel and Resort sold out literally in two minutes, so you're not going to be going to Palm Springs next month. But uh, can we interest you in some eyewear? I don't think so. But it's, it's an interesting choice. It's kind of a cool idea. Just, you know, let's go completely outside of our lane and give it a shot. Let's get to the stocks on our radar, and our man, Steve Roido, will hit you with a question. Ron Gross, you're up first. What are you looking at this week? I've got Editas Medicine, E-D-I-T, a clinical stage gene editing company focused on the CRISPR-Cas9 technology, currently developing E-D-I-T 101 to treat a rare eye disease, back to eyes here, in partnership with Allergen, the first in vivo study of a CRISPR-based genome editing medicine, which means it's editing that's taking place inside the human body, first time ever about to happen. Really incredibly exciting. If you like the sector, but you don't want to place just one bet, you can also look at CRISPR Therapeutics and Intellia Therapeutics to diversify the bet. Ooh, a little bit of a basket there. Yeah, a little bit. Steve, question about Editas Medicine? So I've heard a bit about the CRISPR stuff. What is the chance that that just doesn't work out, that that goes down to zero? Wow. Um, there's certainly that it's all about what are the side effects and are you fixing genes, but there's other consequences in the human body. If that were to to be the case, then certainly we'd be in trouble here and we'd have to, to look. There are other gene editing techniques out there, too, that are competing with CRISPR. We'll have to see which is which is the best one in the end. Emily Flippin, what are you looking at this week? 
my hot stock should not be a surprise to anybody who's been listening to me speak, and that's because it's Beyond Meats. Now, Beyond Meats is scheduled to report, I believe, next Tuesday. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. I've personally had a negative conviction on the company for a while now, not because I don't like what they're doing, but because that valuation is insane. <laughs> Bringing it back to cannabis for a second, their valuation is the same size as the worldwide cannabis market right now. So, if that tells you anything about what's baked in for this company, but regardless, this biopharmaceutical company, because that's the only way I can get it to the valuation where it needs to be. So, it's kind of like Editas, in a sense, Ron. Okay. They're innovating in their alternative meats category, and they've made a lot of partnerships. It's an interesting company. I really want them to succeed because I think what they're doing is important, but at the same time, oh, it's ridiculous to watch. I'm definitely looking forward to their report. And the ticker symbol? BYND. Steve, question about Beyond Meat? So I've heard a lot about Beyond Meat. Where do I get a Beyond Meat burger? Is it my freezer? Is it the freezer at the grocery store? Is it a restaurant? Where, where's, where do I buy these things? Get out of the freezer section. Everybody who can't find it thinks that it's in the freezer section. You got to go hmm. to the meat section of your grocery store. It sits there next to the ground meat, but you can also buy it at retail stores. Andy Cross, what are you looking at this week? I like Twilio. I've talked about this before. Steve, I think you know this one. Uh, it's a cloud communications platform with clients like Amazon, Netflix, Uber, Yelp, WhatsApp, Salesforce.com, founded um, by University of Michigan graduate. Go blue. Um, $20 billion market cap reports earnings next Wednesday. Stock's done so well. They recently more than doubled this year. They have 155,000 customers. They acquired a company called SendGrid for $3 billion that does email email communications, which was not in the Twilio uh, portfolio, suite of portfolios. Now it adds that. The growth rate's exceptionally high. I want to see those continuing to expand with SendGrid now into the Twilio family. And the ticker symbol? T-W-L-O. Steve, question about Twilio? What's the biggest threat to their business? Oh, gosh. I guess client. So Uber was their largest client. When Uber started pulling back a little bit, that really hurt the stock and hurt the business. Now they've kind of managed through that. So I would say generally overall, if clients start using their own applications um, for communication, that's bad news for Twilio. What do you want to add to your watch list, Steve? Let's go beyond Beyond Meat. <laughs> All right. Ron Gross, Emily Flippin, Andy Cross, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. That's going to do it for this week's show. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer, Matt Greer, is off this week, so we'll try and do better next week. I'm Chris Elf. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.